Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Say Who Say Pod. He is Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. The Washington Huskies are six and two and bowl eligible. I might add after a twenty-eight to twenty-one victory over the California Golden Bears. Danny, last week from Danny, it was yeah, but it was Arizona. So is this week is is it yeah, but it was Cal? Because I think there's some merit to that. Does the defense look better? Kind of. Does it? Were they able to withstand a game in which their offense did not put up uh, video game numbers? Yeah, they did. So it was on the road. They they went on the road. That's the first time that's happened, right? And you said bowl eligible. the The entire season should continue to be calibrated against what were the expectations going in, and by that measure, everything's going exceptionally well. Everything looks fantastic. Uh, it's just if you thought, hey, is this team going to be uh, a, a contender for the conference title? It, the answer is not really. Like you can strain to see your way into that, but but not really. And we also reached the tipping point where I'm actually worried about Bo Nix. I was gonna that that happened. <laughs> I was gonna say that I, happened. I felt I was gonna have to confront you on that. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna give you the opportunity to to back out of the rooting for Bo Nix to play against Washington proposition because it, it's never going to look less absurd than it does right at this moment. Oh, I still want him to play against Washington, right? Like I, because I still, but now instead of expecting him to become Bo Nix, like I'm rooting for a regression. Like I'll, I'll acknowledge that that like my entire like he's Bo Nix. You're not going to change him. You put him in different clothes. He's still Bo Nix. Now, like he's playing really well. Like he he, he played really well against UCLA. Yeah, and he, he looks really that's, good. Yeah, my expectation, especially based on what we've seen from Washington's defense this season, my expectation is that Oregon is gonna is gonna carve up the Huskies. Now, maybe maybe Washington will be able to score to keep pace with them. Like that's possible. But yeah, my my whole I I was it was I was perhaps. I'm not going to say I was wrong. I was over-eager to declare my enthusiasm for Bo Nix being under center for the Ducks in that game. At what point will you have been wrong? Oh, when they when they hang 58 on <laughs> and, and win like 58-48 against Washington. And I'm like, oh, God, he was just... Because we've seen it before. I mean, we've seen games like <laughs> Vernon Adams came into Husky Stadium and just played his ass off. Like, he didn't have that good a season for Oregon that year. But he just destroyed Washington. So I've seen I've seen quarterbacks have exceptional games against Washington for Oregon, and now I've got a root for I've got a I've got a root for Bo Nix regression. The uh, the the Cal game to me felt a little bit like their first couple non conference games where you like the numbers coming out of it weren't terrible. I do think I mean, I mean Jack Plummer averaged more yards per attempt than Cal was coming into the game so mm-hmm. he was still above average that way but you look at his score and they gave up 21 points to a conference opponent on the road and one that's not that's not bad like 30,000 foot wise um and they they punted on every first half possession like you know what more can you ask for that's really good um but there were a handful of plays just as there were in their first couple games where they they also didn't give up huge passing numbers or huge huge point totals there were a handful of plays in this game that were just like more kind of more of the same in terms of guys out of position, guys getting beat really badly. I think there was one at least one coverage bust where a guy slipped open coming right to left across the field for like a 34-yard gain and um 
You, know, you saw J. Michael Sturdivant was out wide, wide open on a throw that Plummer missed deep. Just missed it. Um, so there, there still were those plays where you're like, okay, this. You, you, it, the, the temptation is to say they're getting healthier, so they played better, and you know, it kind of took a step forward. And I think there was some of that, like especially getting Michael Powell back. I like he played well. Um, he he gives you that element of like, I so the. PFF had Cal four for four when targeting him, but for only 24 yards and only three yards after catch. So you know, he's, he's somebody who at least you get him back and he's a sure tackler. And he made a couple of really nice plays on, on receiver screens and you hadn't really seen that either. Right. And that's kind of been a staple of their defense over the years. So I think that was a plus and a step in the right direction. Um, but you, you still saw a, a bunch of guys open, to where you're thinking, okay, if this if this was anyone but Cal, you know, what would this score look like? Um, but with that said, game was on the line in the fourth quarter. Cal got the ball. You know, the fact is Washington's defense was on the road against a team that had the ball down by one score on consecutive possessions with a chance to tie the game, and they were able to get off the field both times. I think that's going to be really important for their confidence going forward. I was so nervous on the review for the targeting penalty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because as they started replaying it, like he clearly didn't, he clearly didn't hit him in the head, but he lowered his helmet, like, and he he walloped him like right, right in the chest area. And I thought they were going to get, I I I could have seen a penalty for them, for saying that he he led with his head that that you, you can't you can't lower your head like it's it's like old school spearing, um, and I was I was relieved when that was was not called. This defense is not going to slam the door on anybody, Christian. Like, that's, like, coming out of this, like, you're right about that. They looked better in the first half, but that is a bad Cal offense. And once Washington's offense started clicking in the second half and they started scoring some points, Washington's defense could not slam the door, just like they couldn't slam the door on Michigan State. And God knows they couldn't slam the door or even come close to stopping UCLA in that game. If, if Washington gets in a position where it's in the second half, it is going to have to continue to score because it can't trust its defense to stop anybody, not even when they bludgeon the opposing quarterback to, to the point where he might not be able to walk because Jack Plummer took a beating, absolute abject beating. Um, Braylon Trice is having a really nice season. Yeah, he is. He looks good. This is the weird thing with this defense. Like they, they lead the conference in sacks. They do well, and they also they're they're decent at times against the run. But that's usually because they've got eight guys, seven or eight guys in the box. Was it Chuck Morrell whose quote was when they were asking him yeah. about stopping the run, and he said math, math, <laughs> like that that kind of right there, like in a snapshot gives you a lot of what you need to know about Washington's defense, which is that they are going to load the box, right? It shouldn't be a surprise that they have, uh, they, they get good pressure on the quarterback. They basically, their nickelback is, he's a nickelback, but he's kind of a thumper of a safety, right? Like everything about the way they play is about loading the box. And that means that you put a lot of pressure on your DBs. And, Right now, like it is good that they got Michelle Powell back, but that's a lot of pressure on DBs, and that is the 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 point in personnel in which Washington has taken the largest step back this season. This is this is not an ideal situation where the thing you are exposing most 
is the thing that has probably suffered the most loss in talent uh, year over year. Yeah, I mean, I'll think, I think there that's been that's been proven over these last these last several weeks. Um, is there a little bit? Is there a little bit of like, hey, this is just the way we play? Which what what I call like the Mike Leach special, which is like I'm not going to adjust to my personnel. I, this is this is what we do. I'm not going to adjust. This is a little less extreme. Like clearly, they do make accommodations, and they do. But in general, like they're not they're not playing back. They're not playing a softer. They they haven't gone into. They they're still saying like, okay, this is our corners have to be able to do this, and if they can't, we're going to give up long touchdowns. And oh, we continue to give up long touchdowns. Yeah, I. I don't know that it's that stubborn. Are they it, stubborn? It it no? might ju- it might just be more that um you know it's it's year 1 and like they have a they have mm-hmm. a vision for you know who they're going to recruit to to fit what they want at corner to be able to play the techniques that they want and it's safety and it you well, know this like is really good advertising if you're offering up playing time. <laughs> <laughs> you worried about getting on the field here? We got some instant opportunities, bro. And like it's it's a broken record but it's still true that, like, I don't think Jordan Perryman is a hundred percent. And you, like, yeah, I, I think he's, there. I think he's playing hurt. And Michelle Powell, it he's was tough, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I think I think Perryman's a really tough player. Like, I think he's scrappy. I like because I agree with you. I think he's hurt. Um, it was in like it was good to get Powell back, but he played. I think they had sixty-seven defensive snaps, and he played thirty-seven or thirty-eight of them. So still. You know, he still wasn't full going. It's like the bye week will be important, right? You expect him to be an every down guy against Oregon State when they take the field next. Like I think that's I think that's fair to say. You got him back this week, which by the way, this is the first time and, and this is all data for our like DeBoer meter here on injuries. This was the first time that I was surprised by somebody's return Ooh. based on on what Kalen DeBoer had said about him early in the week. Do tell. He had said, I think his 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 language on Powell the the previous Monday was that there's a chance, uh huh. And everything so far had pointed to if he's saying there's a chance, that means he's he's not going to play, right? Um, I think it was, but maybe it was similar with Asa Turner before the the ASU game. No, there was there was a sense, and this is this is reading from your from from the coverage there. Going into the ASU game, I got a very firm sense that Asa Turner was going to play. That he w- he might not play the whole game, but I was not surprised to see him out there. Like, I thought he was going to play. Powell was a little bit different where I was like, oh, he's playing. So I, I think there was clearly something different that was communicated from, from DeBoer um, bec- because of that. That's the one where – so, like, the head coach used to talk on Thursdays also, and mm-hmm. they, they stopped doing that, which I was in favor of. Um, because it usually it was literally like eight minutes of Chris Peterson on a Thursday, kind of like just filling the space. Half of it was softy doing doing like a de facto one on one because he needed it for his show, and Chris <laughs> Peterson making fun of softy in two or three different ways. And it was kind of like their variety hour, and then the rest of us were like, "Oh, let's think of a question or two to ask to justify why we're all here." Um, and you know, not not that not that additional access to the head coach is ever a bad thing, but I I don't. But it can be. Yeah, but, it, could, it, could, it could be boring as hell if the guy doesn't tell you much. Which was kind of the that's what it always struck me as Peterson. Like it it didn't matter if you got fifteen minutes with Peterson a week or 
two hours and 15 minutes total. Like you were going to get about the same amount of information either way. The one, the one drawback is, you know, there to the extent that these guys are going to talk about injuries. If you get an injury update on a Monday, yeah. you played the game Saturday, they practice Sunday. So they, you know, they did get to see, okay, how are guys moving around on Sunday? But then they're off on Mondays. That that's the the players like mandated one week off. They 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 take it on Monday, so they haven't gone through like their game plan practices. Their like heavy practices. So like they're you know the guy hasn't gone through the week yet. So like a lot of times the update is well, you know we'll see or you'll hear you know well this this will be an important week for him. Um, <laughs> there's a chance, but you might say on Monday like well there's a chance, and then oh on on Tuesday and Wednesday like. Wow, he's moving way better than I thought he was. You know, I bet he can play half the snaps on Saturday. So maybe it was one of those cases. I always, I mean, there's a number of different things about coach and their injury talk that crack me up. Like it would always when when a when a player suffered a season-ending in- injury, like Pete Carroll will always say, "We've got to take we're going to take him. care of him." That's Which, when it's like, oh, "Oh no!" Yeah, you're taking him out behind the shed and putting him down. Like, come on, no old yeller here. But also, the, this is a really important week for him. Like the way coaches say that, it makes you sound like the guy is at a point where they're going to decide whether or not he can walk again, <laughs> right? Like this is a really important. We're gonna we're gonna see what kind of quality of life he has, rather than like, oh, does he not get sore when he runs around, so he might be able to play this week? Like, and this is a really important week for him. These like, eh, next two days will. Be is it critical. really that important? Like. It, it's basically important of whether he's going to play this week or next week. But, like, the, let's not pretend this is, like, the make-or-break moment in the young man's career, let alone, like, how it sounds like this is this is a really important week for him. <laughs> it always cracks me up. Um, I know he threw for 516 yards against Arizona, but am I, am I way off base thinking this was one of Michael Penix Jr.'s more impressive games? Yeah. Because... Because they, they took away the deep ball, man. Yeah. Like, that was, like... Cal's entire approach was everything isn't going to be in front of us. Everything will stay in front of us. I don't care what you do, and I don't care what you give up over the middle. Everything is to stay in front of you, and the defense did it. I mean, that's that's really that's what we saw. Like the was was the was the completion to Big Richard Newton was that the longest pass completion of the game it, for Washington? Yeah, yeah. Which was awesome, by the way, and also spawned a. We've got a big Richard energy uh, little uh, 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 meme that has been circulating amongst one of my text, uh, one of my text change of, of Husky fans. I I love Richard Newton, and it was great to see him get. But everything that happened, they kept it in front of him, and and Penix adjusted right. Like he continued it. Two years ago, that happened, and Russell Wilson had no counterpunch for it. Like everybody was like, okay. He continues to throw over the top of us to DK Metcalf and to Tyler Lockett. Keep everything in front of you. Keep two safeties back. Cal did it, and it wasn't great in the first half. They weren't able to. They weren't able to capitalize. They were moving the ball, but couldn't get into the end zone, and that was frustrating. And they adjusted in the second half. Penix was awesome. Yeah, like it was that. That was. I would agree with you. It was one of the more impressive games he had because they took away what Washington not only has wanted to do, but has been effective at it. And he adjusted and kept humming. It was a true veteran performance where he did, he didn't get frustrated, he didn't force it, and you know I give credit to Washington's coaching staff too. Like Ryan Grubb talked yesterday about how you know they had discussed that before the game, and you know that hey, this is a defense that is they're they're going to force you to settle, they're going to force you to take what they're giving you, they're going to force you to throw into windows, and you know he he said he was like we were prepared for Michael Penix Jr. to be you know 
really tired. Like that was, he was going to have to throw the ball a lot of, you know, they were going to have to run more plays to get in the end zone and it was going to be kind of an exhausting game for him. And he said they were, they were together after the game when they, they got the stats and I think he threw for 374 yards. And he was like, we were both shocked. Like neither of us would have guessed it was nearly that many, right? Because it was so much check down and underneath and underneath and underneath. But when you throw it 51 times doing that, um, it, you know, it it adds up and like, I think it, it speaks to how effective Cal was, you know, employing that strategy to the, the fact that their longest gain, that 36 yard touchdown to Richard Newton was, was off schedule and was not part of the progression. And it was just, you know, the Washington's offensive line did a really good job giving him a ton of time and giving guys a chance to, to maybe work their way open a little bit. Um, and Hey, wow, there's Richard Newton. I'm going to throw it to him. And then he's going to stiff arm a guy and score a touchdown. So, like, if you're Cal and you're watching that, it's like, well, that was really their one, like, explosive passing play. They didn't have a completion to a receiver longer than 19 yards, um, which against that offense is is really impressive defensively. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think if you're Cal watching the film, it's like, well, geez, we gave up 28 points, but one of them was this kind of, you know, it wasn't quite a broken play, but it was, you know. The, Get off me! We covered guys for seven seconds or whatever, and he just he just – Finds a running back down the field and makes a play. You know what? Can, what can he do? Just turns around and shrugs it off. God, he's awesome. Is he going to play more? He looks so good. They like maybe, him. Maybe, I think. maybe, maybe I'm just I'm just hopelessly in the bag for Richard Newton. Like I've always liked him. I've liked him since he was like the Wildcat specialist in the Rose Bowl season. I I just I love the way that dude runs. They were, they were. Um, you know, Grubb was very straightforward. He's very straightforward about everything. He's just a blunt guy, um, which I think is certainly I think we appreciate it d- doing our job and trying to get information to the fans. I think I hope fans appreciate that, you know, he does. He lets you in a little bit more than the average coordinator probably would. Um, he was very straightforward that like Richard Newton needed to to prove to them, right, that he, that, that he deserved to be on the field and not because he'd done anything wrong or anything like that. He was hurt and he didn't get spring with them. And I think he was slow coming back from fall. I mean that there were still some lingering things from the recovery and that. And so, you know, I think, um, they've, they've seen what they wanted to see. And I think he showed them like, okay, yeah, this is a guy with some juice who can, who can, um, you know, bruise his way to yards. But then Grubb talked yesterday too, about trying to get him some opportunities that aren't just between the tackles. And so when you catch a pass down the field, make a couple guys miss and score a touchdown. Like that's probably a pretty good way to prove that like, yeah, I, I might deserve some opportunities in the open field too. Their running backs have looked good. And that's, that's even including the fact that they've, uh, to all the Papa, I clearly to me, does not look like he's hundred percent right now. Um, I, I, the depth that they've had at, at running back this year has been, has been really good. Um, I, I, I've, I've, I've thought that they've gotten great productivity out of it. And even with Richard Newton working his way back, like, it's not like it was a, here he is to save the day. Like they've, they've gotten effective play from it and they give him a chance to catch the ball too. Uh, can I, can I read you one? This, I just saw this. I'm multitasking a little bit. Yes. Y- you might enjoy this tweet. Uh, it's from Zach Stevens. Uh, he covers the Broncos. Um, the last one I saw, he was the one I started following him after he noted that it was the second straight press conference in which Russell Wilson didn't end it by saying, go Broncos, let's ride. So I was like, oh, this person's eye for detail might be particularly, I, I might enjoy this. Uh, this was an hour ago. Russell Wilson worked out and stretched for four of the eight hours on the flight from Denver to London. 
said he was doing high knees in the aisle when the rest of the guys were asleep. <laughs> oh, gosh. Nothing's going to top. But see, nothing is going to top. Uh, was it Jeff Schwartz, the, the former Oregon offensive lineman? He's an analyst now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Russ's quote about Honestly, whatever whatever they tell me to do, I triple it. And Jeff Schwartz quote tweeted it and was like, "If you told me this was a Dwight Schrute quote, I would believe it." <laughs> I think my favorite one was somebody was when they were. It was, I think it was when he did the the rehearsal. Um, oh no, yeah. I'm sorry. No, he was. It was in Denver. He was doing sort of the pantomime rehearsal though, like where he envisions going into the. It feels so there was nobody around. And as he's running out of the tunnel, he holds his hand out. And somebody's like, did he just practice giving people high fives? And I was like, I think he did. I think that's exactly what happened. You got to visualize everything. (laughs) The Wolverine Uh, blood. Okay. (laughs) That was stolen. He stole Luke Wilson's bit. A couple other people pointed that out. Yeah. Yeah. Not his bit. You can't steal (laughs) someone else's bit. Okay, but, but this isn't this isn't a Seahawks and Russell Wilson 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 documentary. We've got to get back to the to, to the Huskies. Do you, that is something new that you see from a quarterback, like with Penix, when your sort of your bread and butter or the thing that you you've relied upon, you have to adjust when you're able to still make the most out of it. And and I think we did see that whether it was in the second half, them finding a way to, to get into the end zone instead of just move the ball. But what they wanted to do, they weren't able to do. And and then we saw some question about the scoring efficiency where at halftime, the score is 6-0, but you're like, Washington should be up 20 points right now just based on the overall productivity. And they weren't, and they didn't get discouraged. And so I, I think last week... I'd said they're going to have a game where it's their offense kind of turns in a clunker and they're going to have to win it. This wasn't that right. Like the offense continued no. to work. They just weren't able to score, but you saw them find ways to continue to, to become more effective and more efficient in the second half, recognizing and adjusting to what Cal was doing. I think maybe the key was I, I had heard that um, Michael Penix jr. Was, was stretching and doing high knees on, on 45 of the 90 minutes on the flight down <laughs> to Oakland. While the other guys were awake, because it was an hour and a half flight. I mean, honestly, like, there's part of me that's like, okay, that's always who Russell's been, right? Like, that's that that's who he's been. He's not going to stop now. But there's another part of me that's like, shouldn't he recognize, like, time score and situation? Like, right now, where I've just been held out of a game because I'm injured, I have not played very well. Maybe now is not the time to highlight how much harder I'm working than my teammates who are sleeping on the flight. Like maybe, maybe I should just keep that one to myself, like leave that one locked up, put it in the vault. Like maybe now's not the time to throw that pitch. And yet it's like the programming is so strong that he's just like, Nope, that's, that's the way I'm going to do it. Like it's, it's very, because I, I don't doubt that he did that. Like I, I don't, I don't doubt that he did it. And I do think that it shows like he does put, he puts more time and money into his body than any other athlete I've ever seen. Like he does. 
But you don't have to tell everybody that, especially at a point where people might be feeling like, man, like we got sold a bill of goods here. We got a lemon. And it's like, well, I actually did stretching for four high knee races in the aisle. It's just, it's baffling to me. Did you, was it GQ who did the, the cover story on him and, and Sierra? GQ, was it Rolling Stone? I think it was GQ. Maybe last year or a couple of years ago. Um, I don't remember what's in it. The lead to that story was among the more unrelatable collection of of words I can fathom. <laughs> and it, the part the part I'm going to get to wasn't even the lead. The lead was about, and it was it was very well written and like clever. And it was something like, the you know they they wake up either in their house here or their house in L.A. or their house in Hawaii or their house in Mexico or whatever, and and like. You know, try some, something about waking up and saying it's a good day, and they they lay out all of the houses that they're in, and then like the the kicker is it's usually a good day <laughs> because they own five <laughs> houses or whatever. But uh, the the part that that like I just got such a kick out of from that story was I think he was he was either talking about this or maybe even doing the interview while sitting in one of his two hyperbaric chambers, and I'm just <laughs> I'm just like I. Can't, I cannot conceive of the universe that Russell Wilson lives in. And I'm not saying like, Hey, you know, you got the money and, and you can, you know, there's something out there. There's a resource out there that, that can, you know, make your body, uh, more able to withstand what it needs to withstand to play in the NFL. Like, absolutely. Like go for it. But I just, I wouldn't like laughing. My mom. I'm like, this is the least relatable story I've ever read in my life as this NFL quarterback <laughs> in his five houses. And he's, he's, he's talking from his hyperbaric chamber. <laughs> The other thing, um, how many people do you think he consulted with on on discontinuing the uh, Broncos country let's ride thing? Well, I'm gonna. I would actually think that it was. It probably took at least half a dozen, and maybe a full dozen people telling him that he should probably stop before he did. I I, I think that's one of the few times in which he's yielded to the advice of others. Um, I don't think he initially had any doubts about it and had to had to talk to I think he had to be I think he had to be told that that was a bad idea so we have a we have early in the season to be giving up on it (laughs) it's so early for them though I mean well it got late fast in Denver (laughs) well but they've got an issue like what are you gonna do if he doesn't get better like I mean Legit, like he's going to be their quarterback, starting quarterback next year. But if they have to look at at, at acquiring somebody this offseason, like you can't, I, he's got $160 million guaranteed, like not the 240 that everybody talks about, but like they, they have that money promised, but it's more than that. You can't let him play out the end of that. Like there's a legitimate question about like how long I could see a situation where he's not on their team in in 2024, which is just going to be backbreaking. But if if this is if this is how he's actually aging, like if this is not just the result of of a shoulder injury, like they could have real real problems. Um, here's 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 another. This is from Zach Stevens as well. <laughs> Russell Wilson has talked with Bradley Chubb and Jerry Judy about them being involved in trade rumors. He told them it's because they are great players and teams want them because they are good. Added he wants both of them on the team. <laughs> I love envisioning these conversations. Like um when when uh uh like Washington, for example, is going to play Oregon or the Apple Cup 
um, or either of those schools in basketball, whatever. And uh, an older player is asked, like, have you have you talked with any of the freshmen to prepare them for what they're going to encounter? And it's, <laughs> I'm just like, what what is the context for this conversation that you're thinking of? Like, <laughs> Jake Browning's like, Aaron Fuller, pull, pull up a chair. Sit down. <laughs> now listen, there's this place called Autzen Stadium. It's in Eugene, Oregon. It's going to be really loud, and they are not going to be written for you. I just need you to be ready for that. I'll put myself in the in the case of Aaron Fuller now, where I'm just like, do they think that he's sitting there like, I, I've heard of this place <laughs> called Oregon. I've never been there, though. Is oh, it, wow. Are there, are, there, are there buildings? Like, do, do they actually have concrete streets, or is everything unpaved? Is it like Oregon Trail, where you have to survive there and, and not, not succumb to your various bouts of dysentery on our, on our trek down there? Um, and and it's, it's loud. The stadium, does it, does, it ha- does it have bleachers, or is it, is it all, like, are there hard seat backs in part of it? Like, please explain more to me about the particulars of which, so I can be fully prepared for this. Have you talked? Have you talked with the younger <laughs> players? Have you spoken to them about the challenges that await in this unfamiliar arena? <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of dead ticks down there. <laughs> the Beverly Hillbillies of the Pac-12. They go nuts, and then they play this clip that happened in 1994, which is when they think pro f- college football started. Like that, the the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and Kenny Wheaton. Like that's the extent of history that people in that state understand. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I might I might have lost the thread there, Christian. <laughs> uh, spoken to them. <laughs> did you? I, I I try I stay I try to stay away from getting into judgment calls about officials too much, especially when like like the call. And I mean I I don't know. Like, did you? What was your philosophy on this when you were when you were covering the Seahawks as a beat reporter? Because like a bad call, you know, bad calls happen both ways all the time, and. Yes. When they when they go against the team that you cover, there's a furor on Twitter and online, right? And people and it's what people are talking about. So you feel like you need to discuss it or acknowledge it, but I feel like there's a like it has to be just egregious beyond egregious for me to actually say like, yeah, that was a bad call. They got done wrong because like I I think there's a natural, you know, you're you're naturally just approaching the game from the perspective of the team that you cover. And it can be really easy to get hung up on one or two calls that, you know, the people who are in your orbit are talking about and you don't mm-hmm. necessarily see the other side of it sometimes. Yes. Um, My experience with this as a journalist changed fundamentally in 2005, or I guess it's 2006. Uh, Super the Bowl Super Bowl. Mm. So up until that point, I had a pretty firm policy where I would quote a player or a coach complaining about an official. Like if you wanted, if you wanted to complain about it, like be, certainly, but I wasn't going to force that issue. Like I wasn't, I'd ask a question about it. And if the person said like, yeah, no big deal. Like I wasn't going to harp on it because every game that's played that a team loses. And this was especially true in the NFL where each game becomes so important and you see it now, inevitably, if there's a close game that a team loses, there is a certain segment of the fan base that will attribute it to the terrible officiating that they got. And it's not a, it's not a large chunk, but it's, it's fairly, fairly voluble. So I asked Hasselbeck and Holmgren 
after the game about the officiating. Like you knew that there were a series. I knew that the pass interference call was an issue. There was a weird penalty that was called on Hasselback yeah. on a play on where a he made the tackle <laughs> after that. Um, I thought people were going to be more mad about the punt return that was called back for Peter Warwick. But, and then the hold. I knew the hold was an issue, but holding's always to dissect a holding call is one of the single most difficult things to do in, in football, in large part because of most people don't understand. Like most fans, and I would say even most like really, really dogmatic fans, don't understand the mechanics of how an offensive linemen are coached to block. Mm-hmm. That they do, they do hold. Like you grab the guy's be- breastplate. It's based on where your hands get to. Like yeah. if you if you're outside the breastplate and holding, that's where the penalty is. Like the 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 idea that oh he held him and there's holding on every play. Like there is because that's actually part of the technique that's 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 coached and practiced and not not flagged. So coming out of that, I did not in that day after like the the stories that came out of that, and there wasn't Twitter then. Um, Twitter, I don't I didn't use Twitter until 2009. Um, but coming out of that. And it was that night where I realized, like, oh, my God, the, the major – it's not just Seahawks fans. It's not just Seahawks fans that are going to feel hosed here. Like, the major story coming out of that game was the officiating. It wasn't even – I thought the major story was going to be Jeremy Stevens and his drops. Like, that's, that's what I thought. And he'd been – Joey Porter and him. Joey Porter had gone nuts over something Stevens had said. Mm-hmm. And so that changed after that, that there are times, even if – a player and a coach won't acknowledge it to you that that you that you you can't tell the story of what happened in the game without talking about a specific call. And there are other examples that I w- I would point to over the years, like the 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 Wazoo game where they lost to USC, and there w- was it Gaston. I might be screwing up his last name. There uh, was a Porter there was a Gustin. high hit to the quarterback. Yeah, yeah, P- Porter Gustin, and then that. There became even a different level to that story later because the Pac-12 executive, was it Woody Dixon? Yeah. Was was involved there. But there are games like that one, I don't know if you can talk about and, and report on what happened in that game without talking about that level of officiating. But it's kind of Pandora's box because I, I know people were complaining about the officiating and people always complain. And and I think there are issues with officiating, especially in college football. But when you decide to make that, is that one of the two or three most important factors in a game or things that need to, it's tough. Um, I, I, I still tend to believe that it needs to be an absolutely exceptional circumstance to warrant like, and clearly an obvious like mistake in a critical point or accumulation of, a bunch of close calls went specifically against one team. Yeah, and so in this, how do you how do you handle it? Basically, exactly that same way. Um, in this instance, and in the I'm thinking of just one call, and you know, probably like I'm sure I, you know, Husky fans who watched that game would hear that and go, "What? There were way more than you know." And kind of like you said, every every team, you know, usually it's after a loss, but. Fans right. of every team are always going to think that the officials, you know, did a bunch this of is the, made a bunch of calls against them. This is let me see if I can get the the play right. Is it the hold on the left tackle? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like so, I I, I agree. Like that was 
That was a really that was a bad call because the game um, was over. Correct. If you know they they converted the first down, and it was I was on the sideline at the time, so like I just oh wow that's a bad you know that's a bad hold to commit right there that's a bad penalty. Um. Yes. And, and there was no you know there was no pressure on on Michael Penix Jr. Right. It wasn't a situation where like. The guy, oh, the guy beat him, and you know, you take your chances, grab at him, do what you can. Mm-hmm. Maybe they call, maybe they don't. And so I was like, oh wow, that's that's a bad hold to commit. And I immediately got a bunch of messages from people that were like, that's the worst call I've ever seen. I, so and I, was I like, watched oh, that. It can't be. It couldn't have been that bad. And then I got I, back I wa- up and watched it, and was like, oh, that was that was pretty bad. I mean, just objectively speaking, like that was pretty bad. I think so. Here's the one thing I'd say, though. If you watch the mechanics of... I can kind of see why the official called it. Like, and that's not to say... I I think the call was wrong. But it looks like... I could see in real time how the guy thought that he grabbed him and pulled him straight down. Like, usually holding is like a... Like, he's wrapped around or he's trying to prevent the guy from getting by him. Because when a guy goes down like that, it's usually because you you hooked his arm and, and pulled him Yeah. Down. Like, I could see in that situation where they thought, like, he almost, instead of, like, grabbing the breastplate and using that to kind of hold him up or push him back, that he yanked really, like, immediately down and basically pulled him face first into the ground. Like, that's, in watching it, that's what I think that the official that saw it called. Um, it's a... It's a bad call for, I mean, in a couple different reasons. First of all, like, if you make the holding call in that situation, given the importance of it, like, you have to absolutely know it's, like, you have to understand the circumstance, right? Like, that it's it's not the guy was beat and avoiding a sack. Like, that was a flag that you threw because you thought something happened. Like, I I, I think you have to take into account, like, the, the, the context. Um, and... It, in my mind, if you call holding, you have to know it was holding. And that's what it looked like it was holding or could look like it was holding in real time. And then when you look at it again, you're like, oh, that's, yeah, that's that's a terrible call. That was one I, I mean, literally, just I mentioned it in my, my day after story. Just like, yeah, I, I watched that a bunch of times. Yeah, and yeah, I don't, I, I don't see how, I don't see how that one, uh, that yeah. one could have, that, that's one you would have. You know, if Cal if Cal comes back and ties the game or wins the game, like I think that that is an instance where a team would have a legitimate gripe to say, "Hey, like this this call altered the outcome of the game because yeah. you, you had the first down. Maybe they couldn't. You know, Cal did still have a timeout, so you know maybe it's it's a matter of seconds at the end. Maybe they could have killed it entirely, but um, yeah, I mean it, it could." It could have, it could have, uh, the game could have swung on that, on that call. It, so I, it, I, I felt like that one met the threshold of like, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going to mention this. I, I would agree with that. What are the other calls that people were, were so mad about? Uh, well, there was the, there was the offensive pass interference that, that took the touchdown away from Jalen McMillan in the first half. Um, Jalen Polk yeah. got called for shoving the guy. And, you know, I think the coaches were irritated with that. And Grub kind of Grub basically said like he thought it was a clean play, um, but sort of acknowledged like, you know, when your hands go up and you and you shove, you, you're putting yourself at risk of getting that called. So, like, yeah, I, I, it was. I think DeBoer was was most irritated because it wasn't a pick. The contact wasn't on the coverage who was was man on on McMillan. Now that part was true, but it <laughs> right? happened like, in the area. Yeah. It happened yeah. in the area. You see it. You I mean. 
you you're on high alert for pick plays in that area, right? Like that's yes, prime pick play territory. So you see two receivers running a route combination, you know, kind of in the same area, and one of them puts his arms out and shoves a defender. I can see why the flag comes out there. I like I get the argument that well, most of the time that's not called, and you know, do you really? Is that does that really need to be called when the contact's against the guy not covering the receiver who caught the ball and all that and like I think that's valid but I I would think that's a call that the league office probably would defend and say was proper just based on the letter of the rule because again like he you know he brought his arms up and he shoved the guy defending him by the letter that I think that is offensive pass interference even if. Cal probably doesn't have much beef if it doesn't get called. Yeah, I would agree with you. I also tend to feel this way. If you're a team that plays with those spacing games and tries to run pick plays that aren't pick plays, which is, and sometimes you end up getting flagged for stuff that isn't, like that that shouldn't meet that criteria. You're like, oh, it wasn't even that guy. I was like, well, some of the concepts that you use are going to get officials like hyper attentive to it. And this isn't, this isn't to excuse bad officiating or say like, Oh, the call's fine. Like, but you're creating some of that. Washington utilizes some of those very same techniques to create sort of reasonable doubt. And like, like those types of plays are part of what Washington does. So like when you get, caught like I kind of feel like it's within the margin of error it's like well you're kind of playing around in that area and sometimes you're going to get flagged for stuff that isn't that 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 isn't technically or you could argue like oh but that wasn't the guy that was defending it it's like yeah but some of what you're doing like you're going to get officials looking for that stuff um I I wouldn't have I yeah it the the touchdown should not have been waved off but I didn't feel like that was a miscarriage of justice no I like I I think it's a uh... You know, at best, from a Washington perspective, it, it's an unfortunate call. I'd I'd have a hard time saying that was like a a technically incorrect call. And I think if if it's not technically incorrect, then like your room to gripe just probably isn't all that significant. You know, I would agree with that. Here's the other thing I would say is that that looks that does not look nearly as bad if Washington's able to reach the end zone on any one of the other times that it was in scoring position. Yeah. Like, and if it's like, oh man, they waved off our one touchdown. I was like, yeah, but you were down there four times and you couldn't punch it in the end zone. So don't come crying to me about, oh, it was one play that kept us from doing that. Like You had like 12 opportunities and you couldn't punch it in. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that's, I think that's the, the crux of it. Like, you settle for two field goals and you miss one other one. Um, yeah, don't come crying to me about the touchdown you didn't score. Like, it's, I don't know. Um, it's also early in the game. It's different when they happen late, man. Like, it's different when those. What do you think about, like, baseball? Because baseball, now you have sort of analytical tools that are able to evaluate, like, the margin of error in runs of umps different strike zones. Like you, you'll see it now. Like after a playoff game, it was like, oh, the 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 strike zone was called like it was a plus zero point six four runs in favor of one team. Mm-hmm. Should that be reported? That's an interesting one. Do we accept that that's accurate? I don't. I tend to view that like those things. Like I don't want to trust 
something as well, but maybe I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here because even as I say that, I was like, well, but I do believe in fourth down conversion charts. Like being able to cite like this coach's decision not to go for it on fourth down cost this many expected points, like this change in win probability. Like I do think that that is, that's information that I seek out. Um, and and maybe maybe it depends on the overall nature of your coverage. Like are you someone that veers more toward sort of wonkish statistics um, because it's, it's data like, and it's as reliable. It's maybe not as firm and clear as runs scored or hits allowed, but it's data. And that would give your readers a better understanding of what happened though. I, I guess I would wonder how many, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Yeah. I, I'm not as familiar with the, the baseball metric, so like do you know how that's calculated? Is I, it is it just balls and strikes? Well, my understanding is it's people with really big brains. Well, I think we we accept that <laughs> off the top. <laughs> I don't know if it's just the change in strike zone or if they're if they're making decisions based on like base calls on the base paths at, at all. But you, I you think can't really get just... those wrong anymore, right? No. No, it's harder to get them wrong. Although I would argue that instant re- – yeah, you're right. It's harder to get those wrong. Instant replay isn't as definitive as some people like to say, but you don't have as many mistakes. That's for sure. It's more accurate there. I, I, I'm pretty sure, and now that we're talking about I'm pretty sure it's entirely strike zone based. I think it's entirely strike zone based, but it does take into account the difference between, say, a 1-1 count and an 0-2 count. Mm-hmm. So not all missed calls are the same. Like there's a different weight depending on where it is in the count and how many outs there are and how many people are on base. Do you know what baseball people think of, of the accuracy of the on-screen tracer? No. Because I, like, I, I feel like that, that, is the, that is the barometer by which you, you, yeah. you deem a ball or strike call bad or, or good, right? If it's outside yes. the little box. Yeah. I just I just wonder, like, are, are there, is there a school of thought among umpires or among other baseball people that's like, well, you know, don't always trust that. That's not, you know, that doesn't take into account, you know, where where it crossed the plate always. It's not always right. Sometimes it tracks it, you know, six inches before, or it it doesn't, you know, Christian, doesn't always are account you, for the break. Are you questioning? And, are you questioning the veracity of the Emerald Queen tracer? Well, listen, I <laughs> I'm not. Were it sponsored by any other casino, I'd be I'd be less certain. <laughs> that part's the funniest part to me. It's like well, the Bible of this is the Emerald Queen Tracer. <laughs> and that is, of course, the EQC Tracer. Brought to you by EQC. Um I've never I've never heard specific complaints about it. So maybe I've always assumed that that speaks to like its accuracy. I know how much like there was a there was a really good book that was written um, about I think that it's called the only rule is it has to work and it was written by Ben Lindbergh and and I, the other guy's first name is Sam they were two baseball prospectus guys and they convinced an independent league team in Sonoma to put them to make them GMs for this independent league team and th- the idea was they were going to try all of this stuff that they'd always talked about to see if it worked in real baseball situations. And the the biggest tool that they got to do this was something that was made by TrackMan, which measures like 
accuracy and spin rate and those sort of things. So I guess I've always had faith that those pieces of technology and the ability to differentiate between types of pitches and those sort of things are, are really accurate. But it's a fair question about like just how, how accurate those things actually, like what's the margin of error on them? I guess my, my answer on like whether you would, you would include a, the, the, the metrics say the ump screwed up by this much stat. It, I would say if it's, if it's significant, you know, if it's large, like, cause I'm sure everybody knows what, what like the game average is, what the American league average is and all those sort of things. If it were like an outlier and something that, you know, was just clearly noteworthy there, there was a terrible strike three call or a terrible ball four call in an inning that led to runs or killed a rally or something. And it's, you, you just, you know, you, you know what it's like covering a game. You have a sense of what people are talking about, right? Like you have a sense of what, you know, this is, this is going to be a prevailing narrative from this game. You know, I'll, let me go look and see with the metrics available, if there's anything that, that illustrates this or, or that maybe, uh, Hey, I know, I know you thought you saw like a couple really bad calls that went against your team there, but actually this umpire was more accurate on his balls and strikes than usual. Um, and here's what the numbers say. So like, I could see maybe using it in that context, um, but it wouldn't be something that I would like rely heavily on. It would have to, it would have to be like I noticed during the game that it just seemed to be, you know, no one who watched that game could have thought that the the ump was calling everything correctly. Everyone who watched that game had to could not have come away thinking anything other than wow that guy's strike zone was wildly inconsistent. And then you go to the metric, and if it supports it, you'd you may be included. Uh, that's probably how I would go. Did you just break news? What? I saw a, 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 a tweet right now. It says 2024 QB from Garfield commits to Washington. No, I didn't. I didn't break that. The kid. That's that's the kid's tweet. But you just retweeted it, right? Like while we were talking. I did. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I was listening. <laughs> I guess I'm I'm updating you with tweets regarding Russell Wilson. So at least this one's on topic. <laughs> yeah, what has Zach, has Zach Stevens tweeted in the last 15 minutes? <laughs> Is it do I say it uh Kamenong? I believe so, yeah. People How are, significant is this? Um it's a it's it was coming. I think it, uh-huh. you know, it was it was expected. Um he's liked them and they've they've liked him I think for a while. I I'll have to you know kind of dig into the the film, the huddle, so to speak. I don't know a ton about him. Um, but Do you think I, he's going to play quarterback? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's definitely quarterback. Um, oh, he is. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I know. I know. Like I was talking to uh, someone who covers high schools the other day, and they were saying like, "Hey, this this guy's the real deal." Like, if it look, he looks like he's going to Washington. Like he's, you know, he's a three star guy. He's not the highest rated guy, um, but I know he's he's highly thought of, and I think he's pretty athletic and. Um, good arm and, and all those sort of things. So, uh, is, is Garfield better now? Uh, yeah, I mean, better than they, they have been in recent years. Um, Garfield's been terrible at some, at some different points. Um, I mean, I know when I covered high schools, but that's 20 years ago, like when they got stand back, Garfield had become a little bit better, but they were still just getting their teeth kicked in by the east side high schools yeah um, they were they were in the the division with like east lake and lake washington um and they inglemore and they just get they get stomped so they the had a schools they had a little mini resurgence there i think it was savelle small's sophomore year i want to say 
Uh-huh. They beat Eastside Catholic, and they made the, oh, really? they made the state playoffs for the first time. Hell yeah! Go to, Garfield! To your point, for the first time in a long time. Um, I think, I want to say they had, they fell back a bit. Uh, they're five and three this year. One and one okay, and three. that's good. One and three in district. They, uh, they just lost to O'Day 33 to six on, on Friday night. Um, and they lost to Rainier Beach and Eastside Catholic. So those, those are the three losses. They smacked Ballard. They smacked Bishop Blanchett. They smacked Seattle Prep and they smacked Roosevelt and they, they beat Lake Stevens by 10 in their opener. Good for them. So yeah, they they got some juice. I root I root for the Seattle City Schools always, like as a as a default. Um, will he? So is he going to be the? Do they have a quarterback that's coming in? Yeah, with the twenty twenty three recruits. Mm-hmm. Lincoln Keenholz from uh, South Dakota. Hard for me to be skeptical of someone like how many how many football players are in that state. Is, uh, it, is it wrong for me to judge it based on population? However many there are, none are ranked as high as he is. Oh, he's got the highest score. Okay, okay, I can get behind that. They, they have yes, they have a commitment from the number one player in South Dakota. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. National footprint. Kalen DeBoer getting it done, <laughs> dipping into his Dakotan roots. I want to say he's a bad man from the Badlands. I want to say he will be their first ever player from South Dakota. Really? I looked this up. They got a bunch. They got like the, the D lineman, Elenius Davis from Minnesota is one of like three players ever from Minnesota. I want to say, um, Curly Reed, the defensive back from Louisiana is their first from Louisiana in forever. They've got like three or four guys from States that if you go through in the media guide, like the his, they're all their, all their lettermen, um, they're, they're the first in a very long time from their states, and I want to say, I want to say Keenholz will be their first ever from South Dakota. I know I looked that up, and I can't remember if it was their first or just their first in a really long time. Um, but yeah, you know, we'll have to see if that's a that's a trend. You can expect the South Dakota pipeline to to continue. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give it. I, I had not considered. I, I cannot had not considered DeBoer's roots in that area. So I'll give I'll give Keenholz the. I, I will not cast the aspersions I might otherwise based on strictly the population of the place he's coming from. Wait, what a miserable week of picking Pac-12 games for both of us, by the way. More so yeah. me. Um, I managed to go 0-4 against the spread while going 4-0 straight up. Really? Yeah. Those are bad beats. <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, yeah? Washington came up a half point shy of a push. Yeah. Um. UCLA, I, I, you know, obviously we don't pick the game straight up, like as far as tracking it and everything. But I know from our conversations, we both thought that that probably Oregon was going to win that game straight up, but the UCLA could cover the six and a half, and they did not. Stanford manages to beat ASU, but not cover three points. And that's that's a, that's that's a bad beat for you. And to me, like I a, thought- a, a Colorado, Colorado is a twenty-four point underdog against Oregon State. That that's that's like a coin flip type like okay we we know Oregon State is going to win this game we know they're going to win it comfortably are they going to cover 24 um and we both went with Colorado and and Oregon State uh took care of that so yeah all, all winners but not where it matters that's that's got that's got to hurt in the heart it does but we surge ahead Danny takes a a uh one game lead in the standings 
thanks to you picked Arizona State. And they covered the three, so yeah. But I thought, yeah, yeah. I'm super. I I, I would have. I thought Arizona State was going to win that game, though. So that comes with a caveat. All right. Well, so I hey, I did better straight up. That's my participation trophy. Uh, Utah is a seven point favorite at Washington State on Thursday night. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Utes here. I might end up regretting that, but I'm gonna take the Utes. I am too. Um, they. They get the big win over USC. Great game. Must win for them, really, in the conference the conference title race and then get a week off to regroup. And um, I think Wazoo's going to have a, a really hard time scoring against them. And, you know, seven, seven points in Pullman, it, that's tough this year because Wazoo's defense is, is pretty good. Um, but I just – I think Utah's got enough guys offensively and, you know, the camerizing – and and so I think that's going to be enough to cover seven against a team that that struggles to score. Um, well, this cannot be right. Oregon at Cal is listed as a pick'em. No, I I see Oregon Oregon given seventeen. Yeah, that's what I was just looking at. Why does it say Why does it say pick'em? Um, I'm seeing mostly seventeen and a half. Let's go seventeen and a half. Uh, I'm taking Cal. You're going to take that's Cal. Based, yeah, that's based entirely on my I won't pick Oregon. <laughs> well, I will I will happily pick Oregon. Uh beat UCLA by 15. I think they can handle the Bears by Come on, Justin Wilcox. It's the weird though. I mean, just like with Washington, weird stuff happens when Oregon plays Cal. So maybe or maybe you can lean on that. Come on, Justin Wilcox. Think I know where you're going with this one. USC is a 15 and a half point favorite at Arizona. Lay in the lumber. Give the Trojans. <laughs> I'm going to continue to bet against Jed Fish. Uh, interesting that SC is only favored by one more point against Arizona than Washington was. Granted, Which, they're on the road, but what do you think that says most about uh, how... Arizona's pass offense? <laughs> yeah. You you mean yeah. like this that setting this line where it is? Yes. Yeah, I just think the fact that when the last time Arizona was on the football field, Jaden Delora was throwing for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah. I think it's funny that there are different degrees. Like, there's basically, I generally think that there's three degrees of, three types of spreads in college football, and they they all go in market spots. There's the pick which is really within two points either way, right? Like, where at that point, you're really feeling like it's 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 pretty close. Um, then there's the this team is better than that team, but I could see how it could go differently, and that's usually a touchdown. Like where I clearly I clearly identify a better team here, um, and but I could be wrong because it's college football. And then there's the this is a mismatch, and that is usually uh, a spread that's like. 17 or so it's hard to get above 17 and once you get above 17 then you're in true body bag territory but it's generally funny like objectively speaking there's no way that washington uh after it had lost two games should have this same should be the same degree of favorite against arizona as usc which is 
has always appeared to be a much better team, has only lost one game, and I don't care if it's on the road or not. But generally, that's the way it goes, right? Like, it's it's hard to get within conference play a spread of larger than 17. Yeah, um, I'm picking USC if I didn't already say that. It's <laughs> like, like, okay, yeah, your vague metaphysical talk about like the nature of point spreads. I'm going to take USC. <laughs> um, what do you do with this? Arizona State's favored by 13 and a half at Colorado. Give me the buffs. See, man, if they'd covered it, if they'd, well, if they'd covered it in, in Corvallis, they, this line wouldn't be this lopsided probably, but. Arizona State, can you, can you in good faith, can you in good faith give two touchdowns as Arizona State? You can't, so I'm going to do it in bad faith and, uh, <laughs> and take Arizona State. I can't, okay. Can you bet? Can you bet on Colorado two weeks in a I'm row? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I feel good about it. They burned us last week. I know, but I feel good about this. I look at that. That is a big hairy number for a terribly and unpredictable Arizona State team that's adrift. It doesn't even have its coach anymore. Get Trenton Bourget in there <laughs> and cover the two touchdowns. <laughs> I want to. I want to take Colorado. What's wrong with me? I want to. I want to take Colorado, but yeah, I just. They couldn't cover twenty four last week, and I put my I put my faith in them to do that. They're back home. Well, see, that's a good piece. That's a good piece of evidence against me. I think like, yeah, it's hard to get a seventeen more than a seventeen point. <laughs> Colorado is a twenty four point underdog. They couldn't cover. Uh, I'm taking ASU. What the hell? Um, Stanford visits UCLA. The Bruins are a sixteen and a half point favorite. Give me the Cardinal. I think UCLA wins this game, but I don't. I don't. I don't think. I don't think UCLA is winning it by seventeen points. Hmm. Week after a dispiriting loss, it's gonna, the Rose Bowl is going to be rocking, though. Well, I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean there's going to be fifty thousand people there? Well, it's I a think t- those... it's a it's a seven thirty start. Stanford travels. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be at least 30,000 people at this game. Yeah. Uh, yeah, boy, what a what a dead environment that's going to be. Um, it's going to be terrible. I'm going to I'm going to take UCLA. Am I taking am I really going to be taking all favorites? Should I do that? I'm taking sure. UCLA. I'm taking UCLA. I think uh I think Oregon is is really really good, playing really well, and I'm not going to let uh a, a tough loss in Eugene dissuade me from the fact that UCLA is still miles and miles and miles better than Stanford and most other teams in the Pac-12. So I'm, I'm riding with the Bruins on this one in 30 minutes. Oh wow, <laughs> that's that is data to consider. Yeah, it's Arizona State it doesn't matter much. <laughs> I kind of like it. We got a little divergence this week. We could have a little separation one way or the other. Separation Saturday. What's your so? What are you what are you doing with no game to watch? I'll I'll muddle my way through finding some 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 other other games. It's it's kind of a break. Um, it's I'm gonna say it's not easy staying up for these 10:30 starts on the the East Coast. Like West Coast sports viewing schedule is so definitively better than East Coast sports viewing schedule. It's not it, it it's and I know nobody cares about like that. Nobody should, but. Like staying up till two a.m. to see if Washington can finally slam the door on Cal is is taxing. <laughs> I'm just gonna be honest about it. 
I don't envy uh, you. What's that? I don't envy you having to do that. That's. I mean, there's harder things in the world, but it's it sucks, and it's no better on like Monday night or Sunday night football, or the fact that like football doesn't start until noon on Saturdays. Like all that stuff sucks. Well, that's one thing I'll be doing. Ohio State's playing Penn State. I I do enjoy watching James Franklin be unable to get over the hump. Like that's that's become one of my real favorite things of. And now like I I saw last week Harbaugh was Harper like Harbaugh blames Franklin for a confrontation that happened at the tunnel at halftime between Michigan and Penn State players. It was at the big house. Like I I I thoroughly enjoy watching like Franklin be the guy that can't quite get to the cool kids table. Speaking of ways that college football is just kind of a dumb sport sometimes. Did you see that Steve Sarkeesian had to apologize for not staying on the field to sing the eyes of Texas after they lost to Oklahoma State? Yes. And that becomes even a little, like, it, there's almost like a level of not funny to it. Like, there's a legitimate debate, and I'm not, I don't, I'm not from Texas. I didn't go to Texas. So I kind of feel like I don't have much of a, a leg to stand on in my opinion about this. But there are Texas alumni who are black, who have very strong feelings about whether or not that song should still be sung. Absolutely. And it's been covered extensively. I, yes. I remember that. Um, and it does add, like, that was kind of the first thing I thought of yes. when I saw it. And I'm like, this, what, what is with this song? Like, people are so passionate about it to the point where when he was hired, he, he like came out and said, like, you know, point blank, like, we're going to sing the song. Correct. And, and now, was, like, when he doesn't. Because which was clearly, field. which was clearly kind of what I what I took that to be that that was part of the understanding when he took the job that if yeah. you take the job this isn't going to be an issue like and if if it is an issue for you that's fine but we're not going to hire you like you 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 take this job with the understanding you're not going to make this an issue and then there's this tough loss that happens and everybody's mad and he doesn't sing the song and then he has to come out and apologize for not singing the song which I was like that. Like I said, I'm not I, – I, I have very low sort of investment or involvement with it, so I don't want to make it be like, oh, I think it's ridiculous that he had to do it. It, it shows some pretty poor understanding on his part to make that then that, – that's what I would say. If you take the job with the understanding you need to do that and then you don't do it and have to apologize for not doing it, like that makes you look really terrible in the view of someone like me who's like, there's a legitimate question about whether that song should be sung to begin with. And there are a lot of people at that school that feel very strongly that it shouldn't be. And you have to apologize for not singing it. That's that that's taking an L on something you don't need to take an L on. Yeah. And one, one more reminder that, Oh, right. This, this song for some reason is still like so, so, so important to to people that sticking point. Not only did, the new head coach like have to commit to singing it upon being hired, but like is now going to make it a thing, you know, kind of, kind of bring back those memories again by, by apologizing for not doing it, which is like another tacit endorsement of it. Right. So, right. It is. Yes. And it it is kind of a weird, it's a weird deal. Yeah. It's, it's complete. That's, that's the best way to say of like, there are some very legitimate objections to that song. And some reasons that people feel very strongly that it should not be sung that I think are incredibly justified. And the intensity with which 
some members of that school's alumni base and the people around that program hold on to that song to me speaks incredibly loudly about how they feel about diversity. Like they, it's, it's not the fact that it was sung. It's the fact that they're so intensely devoted to it continuing to be sung. And if you're a coach who puts yourself in a position where you have to apologize for not singing it, like that's, that's a pretty terrible position to put yourself in. Agreed. For any person who values diversity. What, uh, what can we read on the dang apostrophe this week? Uh, I, I, I've written today about, uh, Adam Shine, who uh, in training camp declared that Seattle's quarterback competition between Geno Smith and Drew Locke was the dumbest calculation he'd seen by any NFL team ever. <laughs> and my question about an exploration of the difference between being wrong and being dead ass wrong. That when you're th- that certain about something, like, should you just be able to like, oh, well, I missed that one. And it's kind of by extension, some of the cowherd stuff and just that there's a certain way that people and I would argue are coached to phrase opinions and to push their their thoughts out there in a way that sort of creates a lack of accountability when they're dramatically wrong. We'll have to read that. Is that a good tease? Yeah, I think so. Is there? An I guess account? I could have been. I could, I could have been more. I explore the difference between being wrong and being dead ass wrong. Is there an accompanying podcast? I uh, I put a video out on YouTube. Oh, sweet! Some visuals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm exploring that. I I've become acquainted over the past week with some some different. Like, are you aware of the manosphere? I'm not. Like, there's this whole corner of YouTube that's full of like dudes who. Like the way they look at the world and through like the way to interact with people, specifically with women, uh, like there's a like YouTube's a horrible place. And so now I'm intrigued and I kind of I, I kind of want to dip my toe into it. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, you let me know how that goes. Yeah, I Report will. back. I will. The... I'm going to have all these people that talk about being red pilled and blue pilled and all this different crap. Coming oh, right. In a week okay. or so. Yeah. 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 And I'm. Can't say I'm like familiar, familiar, but when I, I know, I know what I know to which you refer when you say that. Yeah. Um, there's no, there's no Husky football this week, but there will be a podcast next week. We will analyze the bye. We will, we will break down. <laughs> Washington's defense is not going to allow a point this week. Yeah. Uh, enjoy whatever you're doing on, on Saturday and we will talk to you next week.